We have considered thus far David's remarkable confession about his shepherd, about his God, the God of salvation, the God whose name is Jehovah. We have seen how David, near the end of his life, reflects on his life and cannot but marvel how this God has been so faithful to him, how this God has cared for him, how this God has provided for him, how this God, as his shepherd, has made him lay down in green pastures, has led him beside still waters, but also a God who in his faithfulness restored him even when he so grievously went astray. How faithful he was ultimately to send Nathan. Nathan who had the courage to say, Thou art the man. And how remarkable was the grace of God when this mighty king who in one moment could have Summon someone to slay a man who dared to point a finger at him. Yet David humbled himself. And there we see the grace of God. There we see how God restored his servant. Brought him to the right place. Led him to confess his sin. And to experience that God is always ready to forgive even a man like David who had so grievously fallen into sin. And that this shepherd not only restores his wandering sheep, his foolish sheep, his backsliding sheep, but that he leads us, he actively leads us into the paths of righteousness, doing all of that, as we saw this morning, doing all of that for his namesake. And that is both humbling and encouraging. In other words, David realized there was absolutely no reason in us why Jehovah should have shepherded a foolish sheep like him. And he realized that ultimately he did it for his namesake. And yet therein lies the security of God's children. Because in all his dealings with his people, he does it for his namesake. Ultimately, he does it for Christ's sake. And now we will move on to verse 4, and that will be our text for this evening hour. Let's read that passage again, verse 4, where David continues and says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort him, or they comfort me. So what David confesses in this passage is in light of what he has confessed so far in verses 1, 2, and 3, he confesses here his absolute confidence in Jehovah, his shepherd. A confidence that, first of all, is inspired by Jehovah's leadership. Because the word yea directly connects us with the previous verse. He has just confessed that he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, he then says, in light of that blessed reality, 
that my shepherd has restored my soul, and that my shepherd leads me into paths of righteousness, yea, he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So a inspired by Jehovah's leadership, by Jehovah's commitment. Secondly, a confidence that is rooted in Jehovah's presence. So boys and girls, I hope you're reading along with me, that you're looking at your Bibles. For then we see in our text that not only does he express his confidence, but then he says, I will fear no evil. In other words, a confidence that is rooted in Jehovah's presence because he says, for thou art with me. And thirdly, a confidence that is bolstered by Jehovah's protection. For he then says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So David's confidence in Jehovah, his shepherd, inspired by the Lord's leadership, by the Lord's presence, and by the Lord's protection. So actually in verse 4, we notice a shift. In the first three verses, David speaks about his wonderful shepherd. He confesses who he is. But then in the next verses, we notice that this motivates him actually to commune with his shepherd. Because in response to what he has confessed, he now says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou, thou my shepherd, thou Jehovah, thou wilt be with me. And this is David's confidence, you see. He knows, and he has seen in his whole lifetime, that Jehovah has always been leading him, always been guiding him, always leading him in the paths of righteousness. And therefore he says, that means that even if my shepherd leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, I am so confident of that shepherd, I am so confident in who he is, that even if I must walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even then I am confident that my shepherd will not forsake me, that my shepherd will provide for me even then. So to understand what is meant here by the valley of the shadow of death, we need to realize that during a normal season, the shepherd would take his flock in the spring, he would, there would be plenty of grass and water, but then gradually, if he wanted to continue to feed his sheep, he would have to find other grazing grounds. And the shepherd knew that there was only one place in the summer where he would find a sufficient amount of grass for his sheep, and those would be in the higher plateaus, in the higher regions. If you read again the portion we read to you from Ezekiel, you will notice that there is a reference made to those mountainous regions, to those higher regions. But in order to get there, to get there from the lower region to those plateaus, the shepherd would have to lead his sheep through dark valleys to bring them to those higher grounds. 
And that would be a very challenging moment, a very challenging time for the shepherd, but also for the sheep. If there was ever a time that the sheep would be in danger, if there was ever a time that the sheep would need the guidance of their shepherd, it is when the shepherd would lead them through those dark valleys to those higher grazing grounds. And what made that valley so dangerous? Well, literally, in those valleys, death would be lurking at every corner. We know from reliable sources that The shepherd always had to be on the lookout for animals of prey because they were always shadowing, always following the flock, always looking for a weak or straying animal. But when the flock would be led through that valley, there would be many, many dark places where those animals could hide, where they could lurk. That made that journey a dangerous journey. And yet, the shepherd knew that in order to feed his sheep, in order to lead them to green pastures, that it was necessary to lead them through that dark valley. But David, based on his experience, was confident that just as he no doubt when he was a young man, as he no doubt had led his sheep through this dark valley, that his shepherd, Jehovah, would also take care of him if he would choose to lead him through the valley of the shadow of death. And so the spiritual application of the valley of the shadow of death is that it not only refers to death itself, even though, as I I hope to point out in a moment, there is obviously an application for the believer. Millions of believers throughout the ages have been comforted by these very words. But I think there is a broader application here. So the valley of the shadow of death is symbolic of those valleys through which the Lord at times leads His children. Valleys of trial, valleys of tribulation. When God sovereignly leads his people through dangerous circumstances, perilous circumstances, fearful circumstances, but doing it out of love for the sheep. Because God will never lead his children in any way except it be for their spiritual benefit. And of course, in a sense, we could say that all of life is a valley of the shadow of death. Ultimately, we are all living in the shadow of death. Death casts its shadow over every human life. Again, we were reminded by the tragic events in Turkey and Syria. How very true that is. How thousands upon thousands did not realize they were living and dwelling in the shadow of death and whose lives were suddenly cut off. But here this, even though, as I, will, as I hope to point out in just a moment, there is a, a very precious application for the believer here in terms of the moment when we have to cross the Jordan of death. This applies to all of the difficult and all of the trying circumstances of life. 
And as I said before, Christ does not hesitate from time to time to lead his children through such difficult circumstances. Sooner or later, every sheep of the shepherd encounters such valleys, such trying times, such difficult times. And what David is saying here, for his own comfort, but also inspired by the Holy Spirit for our comfort, is that even if that should be the case, even if that is the case currently in your life, if you are going through deep, difficult, trying circumstances, David is convinced that even then, God is leading us in the paths of righteousness. Even then, if our pathway leads through such a valley, that even then he will prove to be the faithful shepherd of his sheep, that he will prove to be a shepherd who will never forsake his sheep, who will never abandon his sheep, who will be fully engaged as the shepherd of his sheep, even when they go through the valley of the shadow of death. And of course, ultimately, for God's children, there comes the day that they will be led through the final valley, the final part of their earthly journey, when the day comes that death will also overtake them. And then what's so beautiful is that for the believer, it is ultimately the valley of the shadow of death. Boys and girls, you understand what a shadow is. When you see a shadow, a shadow reflects something that exists. But you know that a shadow in and of itself can do you no harm. And that's the precious truth for God's children. Death is inescapable also for the believer. Death will come. The moment will come that we too will end our earthly journey. But what's so comforting for God's children is that the shepherd who has led you your whole life, the shepherd who has cared for you, the shepherd who has provided for you, who has fed you, nourished you, restored you, guided you, that that shepherd will not abandon you when that moment comes, when we too have to cross that river of death. And we know, of course, that for the believer, death is essential. Death is part of the redemption of God's children. We know that with this body, this body of death, we cannot inherit eternal life. Flesh and blood cannot inherit eternal life. And so for the believer, for whom Christ has gone through the ultimate valley of death, that death is the transition from this veil of tears, which is, this life is, a transition into everlasting glory. And then we confess in Psalm 48, do we not? We confess in the final verse that He will guide us, He will guide us even unto death. And countless, countless of the sheep of the shepherd have experienced that blessed reality, have experienced that when that moment comes, 
when we must go through that valley, that He will be there. He will guide. He will direct. He will give grace for that moment as well. That's why the Apostle Paul could cry out so triumphantly and confidently in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And then God's people will experience that it is but a shadow, that death has been conquered for them by the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ has removed for them the sting of death. And then death for them becomes the pathway to everlasting glory. Then Christ will lead His people to the everlasting grazing grounds of that new world, of that new reality. And of course, that compels us, or that compels me to ask you the question, boys and girls, to ask everyone here, how will it be with you? Are you prepared for that moment? Are you prepared for death? If death had overtaken you this past week, as it did for thousands of people in Turkey and Syria, would your death have been a passageway into everlasting glory? For that is only true for the sheep of this shepherd. Only if we belong to this shepherd, only if we have been purchased with his precious blood, only if we are united to him, will it be indeed a passageway to glory. And so David rejoices, rejoices. By faith, he rejoices here in who that shepherd is for him. David here expresses the confidence that no matter what happens, that no matter where the shepherd leads him, that that shepherd will always be there. What David confesses here is that every experience in the lives of God's children, everything that occurs, every trial, every affliction, even going through a valley of the shadow of death, that all of that is part of the shepherd's master plan for his people. Oh, we confess with the psalmist that our steps are ordered by the Lord. And then we know that there is not one aspect of the lives of God's children that happens by accident, but that God guides and directs us sovereignly according to His master plan, a master plan that is unique for every believer. Because not every believer goes through the same valleys, through the same experiences. In that sense, the shepherd is entirely sovereign in how he leads us. But one thing is for certain, that no matter how he leads us, and no matter where he leads us, we need fear no evil. What, what David is saying here is there is not a moment, dear believer, there is a moment in your life that your shepherd, your Jehovah, that the Lord Jesus Christ is not shepherding you. And that's why David could say so boldly, I will fear no evil, even though he knew that in those valleys there is much evil. In those valleys there is much to fear. 
And so he goes on to say, for thou art with me. What a, what a brief statement, but yet what a precious statement. What a rich statement. Thou art with me. What a beautiful example we have here of the name Emmanuel that we find in Matthew 1. And I hope that some of our boys and girls have learned in school what that name Emmanuel means. It means God with us. That's what David is confessing here. Thou art my Emmanuel. I will fear no evil because thou art with me. And so what would happen when those sheep would enter that dark valley? That valley would often be so dark that the sheep could actually not see the shepherd any longer. But what was, what was their comfort? What was their only comfort when they would enter that valley? Is they would continue to hear the voice of the shepherd. There would be a time as the shepherd led them through that valley that they could not see the shepherd, they could not feel the shepherd, they could not touch the shepherd, but they were able to hear the shepherd. And that's what the shepherd would do. That good shepherd, a faithful shepherd, he would literally talk his sheep through that valley. He would keep talking to them. He would encourage them. He would call them by their name. He would constantly let his sheep know that he had not abandoned them, that he was with them, that he was going before them. And actually, by leading his sheep through that valley, the shepherd would accomplish another objective. Not only was he leading them to better grazing grounds, but in that valley... He was training his sheep to listen to his voice. He was training his sheep to become more accustomed to his voice. Congregation, there's an important lesson for us to be learned as well. Because when we go through difficult times, when we go through trying times, What is it that we need to learn? What is it that our shepherd, what is it that Christ wants to teach his children by means of that experience? Is not to judge him by what we feel, not to judge him by what we see, but to judge him by what he says. In other words, he wants to train us that during that time we need to especially pay attention to what he says. We need to turn to his word. We need to rely upon his word. And so Christ uses those experiences. He uses that to train our spiritual ears. Because if we learn that, if we learn to rely upon his word, rather than what we feel, rather than what we see, We are making significant progress in the life of grace. That means that we are learning, that Christ is learning us, teaching us in a a very experiential way what it means to live by feeling, or by faith rather, to live by faith rather than to live by sense. 
And how precious the voice of the shepherd would be to those sheep. It was that voice. It was all that they could go by. That voice that they already knew. That voice encouraged them. That voice enabled them to keep falling, following their shepherd. Thou art with me. What a beautiful statement. Thou, that glorious Jehovah, that God whose name is spelled here with capital letters, to be able to say that, to be able to confess that this glorious triune God, this majestic God, this God who created the heavens and the earth, that this God is with me. And yet, dear believer, that is precisely what Christ wants you to understand. That's what He wants you to understand also by means of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful, visible, and tangible reminder that He is with us. In the Lord's Supper, He draws so very near to us. In the Lord's Supper, He wants to encourage His sheep precisely in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, to encourage His sheep to focus on Him, to focus on the reality that He truly, in their place and for their sake, went through a real valley of death. It wasn't just a valley of the shadow of death, it was the valley of death itself. And in that valley, he was utterly forsaken. In that valley, his father was not with him. In that valley, especially during the three hours of darkness, he cried out in utter bitterness, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken him? Oh, in that valley, so much evil came upon him. In that valley, he experienced the utter rejection by men who had demanded his crucifixion. But above all, he experienced the reality of hell itself. And so on the cross of Calvary, dear child of God, dear believer, your shepherd experienced the reality of death. Your shepherd experienced the reality of what it means to be utterly forsaken by God. But precisely in doing that, He has secured for you a safe passage through every valley through which He will sovereignly lead you, and ultimately has secured for you a safe passage into heavenly glory itself. And so the Lord's Supper reminds us of that blessed reality, reminds us of what the shepherd has done to secure your salvation, what the shepherd has done to secure ultimately your safe passageway through all the trials, all the perplexities of life. Oh, the Lord's Supper is a visible and tangible reminder that this shepherd will not forsake the work of his hands. That this shepherd will care for us at all times, under all circumstances. Thou art with me. As a matter of fact, 
Jesus said that to the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, that amazing moment when the most unlikely of all candidates experienced conversion. When that thief was transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. When that thief expressed his faith in a dying and crucified Christ. When that thief saw by faith what no one else saw. And then Christ's remarkable response to that man. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. O congregation, to be able to say that. To be able to say that God is with me. There is no greater privilege imaginable. That is the only comfort in life and death. But to have God against me is the worst thing imaginable for us. And yet as long as we are not in Christ, as long as we are unconverted because we continue to be unbelievers, because that's ultimately what it means to be unconverted. An unconverted person is a person who refuses to turn. An unconverted person is a person who continues to ignore God and His Word. An unconverted person is is someone who continues to, to treat God as a liar by not regarding His Word. And ultimately, because we have an unbelieving heart, so to say, I'm unconverted, ought never to be something that we hide behind. It is a dreadful indictment. When you say, I'm unconverted, you are indicting yourself. You are thereby saying, somehow, even though I have heard God's Word my whole life, somehow I still manage to go my own way, moving away from God rather than towards Him. But my dear friend, that means that God is against you. And if there is no greater privilege imaginable than to know that God is with me for Christ's sake, there's nothing more dreadful imaginable than to know that God is against us. For then Scripture is very clear what that means. That means that the wrath of God abides on us. John 3 verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so, my dear friend, how is it with you today? Is God with you, or is God against you? There is no third option. There is no gray area here. It's one or the other. And God knows with absolute perfection at this moment what our real spiritual state is. Whether we belong to the sheep of this shepherd, who know, who love the shepherd, who hear his voice, who follow him, or whether we are still following that wretched shepherd of hell, Satan himself. There is no neutrality. It's one or the other. We are believers. We are unbelievers. So which is it with us? And so I ask you again, boys and girls, you too. Can you say today, I know that this God, for Christ's sake, is even with me. 
And I realize that sometimes a believer may be very hesitant to say this, but because this is a great matter indeed. And sometimes it takes a long time for a child of God to come to that assured confession that David makes here, Thou art with me. But I may say to you, congregation, if by the grace of God you love this shepherd, if your heart is drawn to this shepherd, if you hunger and thirst after him and his righteousness, if this Christ has become your all and in all, then I may say to you that that shepherd is with you. And so, I hope that you cannot rest. This is a weighty matter. I hope that you cannot rest until you may know that you are able to say with David, Thou art with me. Now finally, he says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Of course, David knew from his shepherd days that in order to guide and direct his sheep, he made use of two instruments. He carried with him a club, and he also had a staff. And the club he would use to defend his sheep, to ward off animals of prey. That club he no doubtly, undoubtedly used when his sheep were attacked by a lion or a bear. But the staff he would use to guide and to direct his sheep, to correct him, to nudge them, to direct them, to pick them up when they would stumble. The shepherd would put the crook of his staff around the neck and would help that sheep back on his feet. And so that rod and that staff were symbolic of the shepherd's commitment to his sheep. They were symbolic of that this shepherd was at all times prepared to defend his sheep from animals of prey, but also always prepared to guide his sheep, to direct his sheep. And so that rod and that staff were symbolic of the shepherd's unwavering commitment to the well-being of his sheep. Now notice that David confesses this here, and that he confesses that he knows this to be true even when, he, when his pathway goes through the valley of the shadow of death. Even then, when he cannot see that rod anymore. Even when he cannot feel that rod. When he cannot perceive it. When it's no longer visible to him. His experience with this shepherd was, he knew that even in the darkness of that valley, he knew that that shepherd carried his rod and that, that shepherd carried his staff. He knew that in that dark valley that his shepherd would use that rod to defend him from the dangers that were lurking all around him. And that he would use his rod or his staff to guide him, to direct him, to get him back on his feet. And it's possible that during that trek through the valley, 
That the shepherd may have used that rod and staff perhaps more than he normally would because the need for it would have been much greater. Because as the sheep would travel through that valley of the shadow of death, they would be so much more vulnerable than they normally would be. And so it is when God sovereignly leads us through such valleys. When He leads us through such valleys for our spiritual benefit. When He leads us through those valleys for our spiritual growth. To further acquaint us with Him and to teach us to focus on His precious Word and to focus on His voice. Oh, how vulnerable we can be. Any believer who has been through difficult times, through trying times who has had to deal with affliction, knows how vulnerable we then become. Vulnerable to the assaults of Satan. Because when we go through those dark valleys, when we cannot see the shepherd, when we cannot feel the shepherd, oh, then the devil is there to whisper in our ears, where is now your God? Where is the God in whom you trusted? Oh, then Satan goes out of his way to distract us. Satan goes out of his way to make us reason by what we see and what we feel rather than by what we hear. Oh, then Satan goes out of his way to blind us for that shepherd and for his faithfulness. But Christ knows that. This is the Christ who said to Peter, Peter, Satan will desire to sift you as the wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And so Christ, especially, even though it may feel to us that the shepherd is not there, even though our circumstances can be so perplexing and so trying and so unsettling, if there is ever a time that the shepherd is engaged on behalf of his sheep, it is precisely then when they go through such difficult and trying times. It's especially then that he will use his rod to ward off the enemy, and that he will use the rod of his word to pick us up and to put us back on our feet and to enable us to continue our journey. If there ever is a time that we experience that we have no might against this enemy, it will be at such a time as this. And yet the shepherd uses those times, Christ uses those times, first of all to teach us how feeble we are in ourselves, to teach us that we can't make it on our own, we can't make it in our own strength, and to teach us in a whole new way to learn to rely on Him alone. One commentator puts it this way. He says, It is when we are led through those valleys that we actually really learn the Word of God. Not just know it, but that we learn it. It's especially during those trying times that in a very real experiential way we have to lean upon the shepherd, that we have to trust His precious Word. And the beautiful confession that David here makes that is so encouraging and so comforting for us, is that, again, he is saying in this way, 
Remember who your shepherd is. Remember who he is. Remember that he will never, never, never forsake you. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And of course, the word comfort makes us think of the comforter. And of course, the Holy Spirit plays a significant role in all of this. It is the Spirit of Christ who directs us to focus on the shepherd. It is the Spirit of Christ who redirects our attention to Him. It is the Spirit of Christ who makes us mindful of the Word of the shepherd. It is the Spirit who enables us to hear the voice of the shepherd and to find our encouragement in His precious Word and in His promises. It is the Spirit who enables us to cling to those promises, to take hold of those promises, and to find our strength in those precious promises. And so, my dear congregation, what a precious confession David here makes. He is confident in Jehovah's leadership. He is confident in His presence, that He will always be with him. He is confident that He will protect him, that He will not perish when He goes through those valleys. And if by the grace of God we may have been on that narrow pathway that leads to glory, and if you look back on your life, dear believer, tell me, is it not so? Is it not, has that not been your experience? If you look back in your life, if you look back on all that you have been through, all that you have experienced, has this shepherd ever failed you? Has he ever not proven to be who he says he is? Has he not cared for you? Has he not provided for you? Has he not upheld you? Has he not sustained you and brought you even through those difficult valleys, those valleys of trial? Oh, be encouraged. When this Christ is our shepherd, we need not fear any evil. Then we may know that truly all things without exception, all trials, all afflictions, all valleys, ultimately will work together for our spiritual good. And ultimately, He will lead you through the final valley, the valley of death itself, and He will bring you to the everlasting shores. He will bring you into His everlasting presence because your shepherd will not and cannot forsake the work of His own hands. This is what Jesus said just before He ascended on high. In the last verses of, of Matthew 28, He said to His disciples, Lo, I am with you always. I am with you always. That's the thrust of what David is saying. That's the confidence he has. This shepherd is always with me. Dear believer, he will always be with you until you breathe your last breath. And oh, may God use this to encourage us. May he use the Lord's Supper to reaffirm that blessed truth. Maybe in a very special way, experience the love 
and the presence of the shepherd, so that we may be strengthened as we continue on the journey which he has precisely mapped out for us according to his master plan. But again, if this Christ is not your shepherd, you have every reason to fear evil. Because to live and die without this Christ means that you are destined for everlasting perdition. For then I also need to tell you, and I would be utterly unfaithful to you if I did not emphasize that truth as well. For then it will be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, to live without Christ, to live without this shepherd, to go through life without this shepherd is a pathway that leads to everlasting damnation. And therefore, I urge you, if this Christ is not your shepherd, you need to seek Him today. You, see, you need to seek Him now. It is the accepted time, the day of salvation, lest evil overtake you. And what a dreadful thing it will be to then appear before God, especially if we have lived under the gospel, if we have enjoyed all the privileges of the gospel ministry, if this Christ has been preached to us, has been offered to us freely and without money and without price, and then to appear before the living God, ultimately having rejected that Christ in unbelief. No wonder the apostle says, as he quotes the Old Testament, that it will be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But this God, who will by no means clear the guilty, this God, however, has no pleasure in your death, but therein that you would turn unto Him and live. It is this God who still proffers peace and pardon. It is this shepherd who still comes to us in the ministry of the gospel, and who so lovingly and urgently says, Sinner, come unto me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will in no wise cast you out. And dear people of God, dear believer, dear sheep of the shepherd, may God give us a profitable week of preparation. May we spend much time in the rich pastures of His Word. May we come to his table, and may we be encouraged by that blessed sacrament whereby the Savior, in such a personal and intimate way, communicates to his people, I am your shepherd. I am with you. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we give Thee thanks that we could be in Thy house today, that we could hear about the great shepherd of the sheep, Thy beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a privilege it is to know that He is our shepherd. Lord, give us no rest until we may know that He is also our shepherd, that we can truly say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And Lord, use Thy Word, even the warning we have given in Thy name, coming from Thee, the God who has no pleasure in our death, but that we would turn unto Thee and live. 
Thou who dost plead with sinners, turn ye, turn ye, for why will you die? Oh, we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst use even thy word today to awaken sinners out of their deathly slumber. For, Lord, if we are without Christ, we have to fear evil. Evil shall come upon us. If we are without Christ, the consequences of thy curse will be inescapable. But, Lord, we pray, therefore, that thy word will not have been preached in vain today, that thou wouldst use it for the encouragement and edification of thy children, but also for the salvation of those who are still on their way to perdition. Go with us in this coming week. Bless the labor of our hands. Keep us safely and gather with us again this coming Lord's Day. We ask it in the forgiveness of our many sins. In Christ's name alone we pray. Amen.